reign. You reign above it all. You reign in this place, in our lives tonight. Lord, we put you right now in your rightful position. The throne. And it's a privilege to be in your presence tonight, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us, for who you are. And thank you for being here tonight as our guest of honour as we worship you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team. Beautiful. John and Bronte. Amazing. Woo, what a time. We're going to um, keep singing later on, so there's more of that to come. Hey, as we get started here, I want to do a bit of a survey. Um, what's your, what's what's your favourite Marvel movie? Come on, shout them out to me. Black Panther. Black Panther. Winter Soldier. Spider Man. Spider-Man. Good. What? What? There's nothing wrong with Wonder Woman, it's just DC rather than Marvel, for those who are wondering. Rangarok, 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 Do you pronounce the G? Nah, okay. Alright. Anyway, let's move on. Um, no, I, I, I do have a point to that question. Um, my, my favourite Marvel movies are The Avengers, of course, thank you, yep. Don't ask me to choose one because I can't, they're all really good, aren't they? Although, do we like early Avengers or like later Avengers? Why not both? Why not both? Yeah, sure. No worries. Oh, look, there they are. They're the heroes up on the screen there. Hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but these days, superhero movies, there are very few sidekicks. Have you noticed that? Yeah, back in the 80s, the 90s, 70s, I don't know, I don't remember that far back, some, some of you do, every superhero had a sidekick, is that right? Yeah, pretty much. It was like the less cooler, less cool kind of guy or girl who, who had a few kind of abilities and powers but not as cool as the main guy, quite often saved the life of the main guy, funnily enough, never got the credit, um, but they just weren't as cool, they were just like the sidekick, right? Um, but these days, for whatever reason, whether that's our uh, cultural uh, cha- culture un- changing and our understanding of valuing people uh, equally or whatever, um, these days every superhero movie, like the Avengers for instance, every character is the superhero in their own right, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah there are very few sidekicks, everyone's a hero and quite often um, Disney decide that everyone gets their own movie too <laughs> at some point, which is... Um, we're not complaining, are we? I love them. love them. Hey, but as I've been um, journeying through this series, and hopefully you've been journeying along with me as we've been talking about Paul and his co-workers, uh, it's kind of reminded me of the Avengers. You see, these guys were like the Avengers of the early church. They're very few sidekicks. The characters that we're talking about, the people, like Paul was an absolute legend, right? He was a superhero, there's no doubt about that. But all these other people that he got to work with, they were heroes in their own right. They weren't just sidekicks, they were their own heroes. And uh, I'm really enjoying getting to know these other heroes in the, in the early church version of the Avengers, and I hope you are too. And tonight, I get the privilege and uh, the, um, the honour of, of continuing this journey and um, introducing you to some more of these Avengers 
Uh, and um, the ones I'm going to introduce you tonight, um, uh, you perhaps have never heard of. Or maybe you've heard a little bit about, but don't know a whole lot of, and or maybe you've never heard names before. These are the women who are part of Paul's team. Can I hear it for the girls? Yeah. All right. Awesome. You know, there are so many women on Paul's team. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I get the privilege of introducing you to a few of those women tonight. Um, but before we do, um, I have um, invited a Wonder Woman of our own here at Dora Folk, uh, to come and paint us a picture, pun intended, uh, <laughs> of, of what life was like for women in the time of Paul. Um, so if you could join me and welcome up um, Dr. Neely, Anna Van Stralen. Come on up, Anna. <laughs> so I was getting my hair cut a little while ago and um, there was a, a girl who was cutting my hair and she was a bit standoffish at first and I thought, oh, this hairdress is pretty, but she's not very nice. Um, oh, heck, no, no, don't call me right now, sorry. Um, <laughs> Mum. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, it turned out that she had a sore foot. And she was super nice. She apologised halfway through. Sorry, I'm not very friendly right now. I've just got a really sore foot and I have to work anyway. I was dancing to a, a song and, and I heard it. It's an embarrassing song. And I was like, oh, what song was it? And she told me what it was and then I realised I was old and I don't know anyway. So I just went, ha, ha, okay. And so I went home and thought, oh, I'm going to keep up with the young folk. And so I did a bit of a Google and then watched the music video and my face just went from like to like to like, oh, oh. <laughs> I, I've, not, I've, I've not seen anything much like it and um, it turns out it's been around for ages I'm not going to tell you what it is, it doesn't matter and it's not edifying but um, I, I just realised that it's not a real great time right now to be a woman um, and I feel like there's, there's some the imagery and the expectations and, and the things that we're exposed to are, are not great um, but I just wanted to sort of say that if you're thinking that maybe you'll just kick back to pagan times and, and wear a toga and those nice little golden leaves in your hair, I wouldn't suggest that you do that because it was also, and maybe more so, I would say, not a very nice time to be a woman. When I was born, my father wrote down the time of my birth on a little piece of a little scrap of paper, it was what he could find at the time, and the nurse gave him a pen and he wrote it down, and it was around 5.30, I think, in the morning. And um, I don't know if it's still there, but it might be. And when we used to talk about when we were born, he used to go, wait, 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 and he'd get out his purse. He doesn't have a purse, he has a wallet. Um, <laughs> he got out his wallet and he'd pull out this soft, folded piece of paper and he'd say, look, I still have it in my wallet. Very special to me. Well, I was the, the third daughter um, in the family. And back in pagan Rome, Greece, about the time of the Acts Church and Paul, when all that was going on, daughters weren't really seen as being very special. And, well, kids, having too many kids divided up the inheritance and, and they were expensive. And so, well, sometimes the husband might just say, I don't want you to have a girl. And he would tell the new mother to get rid of her. 
And so there were quite a few ways that they might do that, and they're all horrible, and I'm not going to talk about them now. But if I were born to especially a wealthy family back then, there's a chance I wouldn't have been around for very long. Legally, that was fine. Now, I remember having a baby, and on day three, there's this thing that happens. <laughs> Someone's laughing. Um, nobody tells you, or maybe they do and you just don't listen, that you go actually insane, um, and you start crying. I remember holding Stanford, my, my little boy, and saying, if only he had a better mother. <laughs> now, imagine going through that emotional upheaval, the physical hurt of having a baby, and then spending day three without one that you maybe really wanted because your husband made you get rid of them. I can't imagine it. Horrible. Now, when I was 12, I remember listening to the night mix on the radio, um, and I used to tape the songs that came on that I liked. I really liked the Backstreet Boys. I liked Mandy Moore. Um, <laughs> and I used to make these very elaborate mixtapes, and I could never just get the finish and the start in the right place. It was a real pain. I used to play with my friend's pet snails. We, she had a toy merry-go-round, and we used to put her pet snails on the merry-go-round and wind it up and watch them go around. <laughs> If I had been born back then, if I was a pagan woman back then, there's a chance that I would have been getting married that year. Or maybe I already was married. Now, I wasn't interested in boys back then, and I can't imagine things were much different. But the thing was, it probably wasn't going to be a boy. It could quite, quite possibly be someone very old who wasn't going to wait for me to grow up. Now, apart from the fact that that's horrendously traumatic, it can actually do awful things to girls' bodies as they grow. Plenty of child brides don't make it to being a fully functioning, healthy adult. So a lot of, uh, a lot of young women back then would at least know that that was a possibility that that could happen to them. Now, I've been to primary school and high school and college and university, and I can keep learning all my life if I want. If I was alive in Paul's time and my father had let my mother keep me, uh, I would have had, or even if my mother kept me and just wanted to, I would have had at very best a very limited education. If I'd been living in Athens, for example, I never would have legally been seen as anything that had rights above being a child. I would have been seen as being my husband's property and my father's property and I would never have really belonged to myself unless my husband died. But that wasn't okay either. There was immense pressure for women to get married again socially. And in fact, in some places and at some times, there was a law to say that you had to actually get married after two years to make sure that your property went to some deserving man. Nice. If I was a woman back then and my husband wanted to divorce me, he could just say that he wasn't going to take care of me anymore, kick me out of the house, and there we go, it's all done. If I wanted to get a divorce, I'd need a man to come with me and to go to court for me and to speak for me. And if I didn't have that, then it didn't really matter how I was being treated. I had to put up with it. If my husband... Um, actually, no, I went there. Sorry. <laughs> Pagan men were often really promiscuous. And anecdotally, there's evidence that they didn't really even want to marry girls who had no experience, who were super young, who didn't know anything about the world, and they would be punished if they did. Babies weren't really in high demand. Um, sorry, I've gone all over the place. <laughs> you guys can forgive me. Forgive me. Thank you. 
So I've gone through some of the things that were really quite horrible about being a lady. And many women in these cultural environments were potentially emotionally traumatised in kinds of ways by the practices of marriage and excluded from much of the day's social and political public life. The message of Jesus is particularly interesting to people who have been overlooked by the society of their time. The more that you're downtrodden and not listened to and the less rights you have, the more that the gospel actually shines for people. They see that they're being offered more. There was a cultural revolution going on at the time of Paul, and when women heard about it, I'm sure that plenty of them pricked up their ears and were very, very interested about what a life as a Christian, move, uh, as a Christian, as a part of the Christian movement, was. Rather than being told that being a woman was being an object or a pretty ornament, or as some of the philosophy of the day actually suggested, a less developed, less perfect man, women were offered by the church the hope of being secure, being valued, being respected, being told you didn't have to get married again if you didn't want to, and being told, in fact, that it might even be better if you could just be by yourself. It doesn't sound so bad. The church offers security and value and respect beyond any that the secular culture at the time was currently offering them. It was a life where they were being told that they were precious to God and that they mattered, that their number counted and that they were complete by themselves, defined instead through their identity in Christ. Now I'll pass back to Ben. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Anna. Um, in summary, it, it, it wasn't a great time to be a woman when Paul was around and when Paul was leading the church in the Greco-Roman culture at the time. Um, that is, of course, unless you were a kind of a wealthy Roman woman who was maybe married or um, attached somehow to a very important Roman man, you had it pretty good. Or if you were a Christian woman, as Anna explained, from the, from the very first day, Christians treated everybody the same, valued everybody the same. They were um, against very, very common practices like infanticide and abortion, and um, they valued everybody for who they were in Christ. And as such, it became a very appealing, attractive community to be a part of. That makes sense, doesn't it? So much so that actually, within a few years, there were more women in the church than there were men by you know, a long way. And even though in the culture outside of the church, it was the other way around. There was a lot more men than women. So this could explain one of the reasons why Paul had so many amazing women on his team. He had plenty to choose from. The church was full of incredible, inspiring women. And uh, as I said just before, I'm going to introduce you to a few tonight, and hopefully they inspire all of us, encourage all of us, whether we're a man or a woman here tonight. Um, I'm going to introduce you to them, and, and hopefully they inspire us tonight. The first person I want to introduce you to is a woman by the name of Phoebe. Phoebe is an absolute legend. Absolutely awesome. And we read about Phoebe 
in a couple of verses in Romans chapter 16. And I encourage you, if you've got a Bible there or your Bible app, or if you're participating online, uh, you can just get Romans 16 in front of you because we're going to keep on coming back to this um, throughout the next few moments. Uh, but this is where Paul first mentions his co-worker, Phoebe. I'm going to read this now. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Centria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, and especially to me. Now, those couple of verses are actually all we know about Phoebe, um, but from those verses we can actually glean some really helpful information that paints a picture of who Phoebe was and, and how awesome she was and what we can learn from her. You see, um, what we learn is that she was a leader in the church. And uh, this was the church in Centria, which was like a sister church to the main church in Corinth that maybe a lot of us have heard about because Paul wrote a couple of letters to the Corinthians. Now, this was like a sister church to that, and, and Phoebe was a big part of that church. But probably more importantly to understand is the way that Paul introduces Phoebe here. You see, when um, Paul decided to send letters to people or to churches, he didn't just kind of write the letter and stick it in the letterbox and then a few days later it magically appeared at the other end. What would happen was he would entrust this letter, this communication to somebody that he really trusted and that person would be responsible for taking it all the way to the destination. And um, in this case, it was probably by ship or, uh, and um, by foot, and it was quite a journey all the way from uh, Corinth area to Rome, where the Romans, um, where Roman church was. And more than this, but the messenger was um, also responsible for reading out the letter in public. And so they would often go around to all the churches, the little house churches in this um, destination, and read it out, and not only read it out, but they would help explain it. They would help answer questions about it. They would clarify things about it, kind of on Paul's behalf, on the writer or the author's behalf. And the way that Paul introduces Phoebe here actually tells us that Phoebe was the one who was responsible for being the messenger for the book of Romans, the letter to the Roman church. How awesome is that? That's fantastic. Considering what we've just learnt about how the broader society treated women at the time, how incredible is it that this amazing woman, Phoebe, would be entrusted with Paul's letter to the church in Rome? And, and you know, if Phoebe hadn't done her job very well or very properly, it is very likely that we would not have the book of Romans in our Bible today because of this incredible woman. How cool is that? I think that's really cool. Phoebe is great. Phoebe is fantastic. Um, not only does it show that Phoebe was a really cool chick, um, but it also demonstrates to us that Paul not only talked the talk, but he walked the walk. You see, in Galatians chapter 3, he wrote this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, just like clothing. There is no longer a Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. 
You see, by choosing someone like Phoebe, a woman, for this incredibly important job, Paul was demonstrating, hey, I talk the talk, I tell you that you should value people, and whether they're men or women or whether they're whatever culture they come from or um, whatever status they have, they are all the same under Christ Jesus, and we're all brothers and sisters and one and equal in value because of what Jesus has done for us. But he was also demonstrating that that's what he truly believed. So there's Phoebe for you. Hopefully Phoebe inspires some people here. We've got another person here, another woman by the name of Junia. And we uh, return to Romans chapter 16 to read about Junia in, uh, in verse 7. It says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Now again, what do we know about Junior? Well, we only have a verse here to, to look at, but again, this tells us quite a few things about Junior, which will hopefully tell us about her and, and can inspire us. Junior was Andronica's wife. Okay, so this was a married couple that Paul is referring to here. Now, um, Chantelle and I, we are expecting a baby in December, which we're excited about. And uh, tomorrow, actually, we get to find out the sex of the baby, which is really exciting. Um, but that will help us choose names. And I'm thinking, Chantel, maybe Andronicus for a boy. <laughs> be a good guy can go on the list for boys' names, perhaps. Okay, what else do we know about Junior from this verse? Well, we know that she was married to Andronicus, but we also know Paul, Paul actually says that they were Christians before he was. That's pretty cool. Very cool. And what else? Um, it, he, Paul says, describes them as being highly respected among the apostles. And he calls them his um, fellow Jews. And in some, some um, translations, these kinsmen, which indicates that perhaps they were Jews, but also perhaps they were from the same tribe as Paul, and maybe even from the same hometown as Paul. And if you um, kind of put these puzzle pieces together, you put the puzzle pieces of the when and the where and the who they were with and all this kind of thing, if you put these all together, it is quite possible that this married couple were actually some of the original disciples of Jesus. That is really cool, don't you think? That's awesome. I mean, we know that Jesus had 12 disciples and the Gospels tell us that he also had a bigger group of 72 and 120 and, and the book of Acts tells us that uh, once Jesus had been risen from the dead, he appeared to hundreds of people, hundreds of his followers. There were many people that followed Jesus and, and witnessed him in person with their own eyeballs and heard them with their own ears. And it's quite likely that Andronicus and Junior, this married couple, were some of those people who actually saw Jesus with their own eyes, heard Jesus with their own ears, maybe even smelt his dirty clothes, maybe even learnt directly from him. How cool is that? And when we put these things together, it kind of makes me think of, of couples in my life. Maybe they were Christians before I was. Maybe, maybe they were followers of Jesus before me. Maybe they've... Um, encouraged me in my journey, in my faith. You know, Paul also says here that, that they'd spent time in prison with him, and now he was kind of a rebel, Paul, and he was in and out of prison a fair bit. So we don't know at what point they were in prison with Paul, but 
they were at some point. And at some point along the way, clearly they've, they've moved um, from where Paul was operating to, to Rome and in, in, involved in the church in Rome. But this was a married couple who had been through the ups and downs with Paul. This was a couple who had clearly meant a lot to Paul, enough for him to say, hey, by the way, say hello to Andronicus and Junior for me while you're there. I wonder if you have people in your life who kind of act in that kind of role for you, maybe spiritual mentors or, or people who just mean a lot to you, have maybe been um, kind of heroes in the faith for you, just like Paul had. Now we have some more women. We have women like Priscilla and Chloe and Lydia and Euodia and Syntyche. These were women who were mentioned by Paul in books um, and in letters um, to the Philippines and to Timothy and to the Corinthians. And these were women, these were Roman women. These were women of status. Maybe they were um, related to or married to important people in Rome. Um, but these were wealthy women. These were educated women. These were women who had influence in their communities. But these were women who were followers of Jesus. And these were women who had hearts of compassion. And so, so these women were the resources of the church. They would fund missionary journeys. They would open up their homes to host new churches in. They would um, provide support for the poor and the sick and the widows and the, the downtrodden in their communities. And in fact, there's some evidence for some of these women that they at times used their influence in the Roman Empire to protect the early church and church leaders from persecution. You know, these women were incredibly valuable to Paul. And it's quite possible, really, when you think about it, that without these resources of the early church, it would have been so much harder. And we may not have seen the explosion of growth um, of the gospel and the good news of Jesus like we did at that time. And these women, they were simply using what they had been given and were willing to contribute that to the work of God's kingdom and the spread of his good news. Again, some pretty cool women there. And we're going to find out more about Priscilla next week, actually, in the morning service. Pastor Steve is going to bring us a message and talk to us about Priscilla and her husband, Aquila. All right, finally, I want to introduce you to a few other women, to Mary, to Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis. Again, maybe some girls' names, Chantel. <laughs> Tryphena and Tryphosa. <laughs> T1 and T2. Right. We're not having twins. We're not having twins. We know that for sure. <laughs> uh, back to Romans 16. We read, Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Give my greetings to Tryphena and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. And Paul mentioned these women in, um, and highlighted these women. Why? Because they were hard workers. These women were incredibly hard workers. Now, every good team has different roles, doesn't it? Every good team have um, the leader kind of type people in it. Every good team have the really highly skilled people in very specific roles and very specific things. And every good team has a whole lot of people who are just willing to get in there and do hard work and are willing to do whatever is required just to chip in and get it done. And it sounds like these were the kind of women that Paul was 
mentioning. Now, you know, these women may not have had status. They may not have been wealthy. They may not have had a whole lot of education. They may have um, been through much of what Anna described earlier in their lives, and yet, again, they just took what they had, a willingness to be involved, a willingness to contribute, and they contributed that. Hard work. Hard workers. Now, to be mentioned in Paul's letter, I imagine that's probably a pretty high honour, wouldn't you think? And, um, you know, to say, hey, by the way, say hello to Trifena and Trifosa for me. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And to be, um, that, to be a public acknowledgement of those people meant that Paul really valued these women. And, you know, they could have been wealthy. They could have had other things going on. We don't know what else was going on for them. But we do know that Paul decided to highlight their work, their hard work, their effort. And I don't think there'd be a single person in this room who wouldn't appreciate being publicly acknowledged for working hard and for contributing everything they've got and being a part of a fantastic team. And that's what these women were. Now, there are a heap of other women that I could have introduced you to. There was Claudia, there was Junior Theodora, there was Julia, there was Eunice, there was a woman we only know as Rufus's mum. <laughs> but she was worth a mention, apparently, to Paul. So. <laughs> but the point is that Paul was a superhero of our faith. Paul was a superhero of the church, but he wasn't alone. He had an incredible team, an incredible network of incredibly capable and inspiring people, and a lot of those were actually women. A lot of them were women. And these women weren't necessarily just chosen just because they were women. These women were chosen because they had something to contribute, and they were willing to contribute it. They were willing to get in there and get it done. Now, I want to leave us here tonight considering two things as we, as we leave and as we go uh, worship a bit more and go into hangs and spend the rest of our weeks. I want to give us two things that we can be thinking about. What can we learn from these women? Well, the first thing I want to ask you and ask, or ask us to ask ourselves, I'll ask several times. I want us to ask ourselves this question. What is the contribution that I'm going to make? What kind of contributor am I going to be? Am I going to be a leader or a messenger like Phoebe was? Am I going to be um, maybe an encourager, a spiritual mentor like Junior was? Am I going to be a resourcer of ministry and mission like the amazing women, Lydia and Chloe and Syntyche? Am I, or am, I just, am I going to be someone who's just going to get in there and do what's required and work hard? And do that just like Mary and Trifina and Trifosa. Or maybe none of those things. Maybe there's something else that I can contribute to. And that's fantastic. The point is that we all have something to offer. All of us. Every single one of us. And every single follower of Jesus, we have a responsibility to contribute that thing that we have in order to advance God's kingdom and to share the good news about Jesus. So it's not about, do I have something to contribute? It is, am I willing to contribute it? First question. Second question is this. Paul had so many women working with him because they were part of a movement of people who were radical 
in their inclusivity and their love for one another and for Jesus. This was a movement that was so counterculturally loving and accepting that it made the surrounding society sit up and take notice. And it made them want to be a part of that kind of community as well. You see, this community, the early church, were reflecting Jesus. Jesus was the, was the man who accepted the woman at the well, who accepted the, the sinful into his dinner parties, who spent time with the sick and the poor, and children, welcomed children into his presence. And these were people that were otherwise unacceptable people. These were people who were otherwise unlovable people. And Jesus decided, no, I'm going to love you. No matter what the surrounding society and culture tells me, I'm going to love everybody. And the early church, these great people that we've been talking about, represented a movement of people that were that loving and that accepting of people that the surrounding culture stood up, they sat up, and they took notice, and they wanted to be a part of it. How can we, how can you, how can I, contribute to building that kind of community? That kind of community here at Door of Hope, a community that's so radically inclusive that other people can't help but notice and can't help but want to be a part of it as well. Because we're all in this together, aren't we? We are all in this together. There are no sidekicks (laughs) in this mission that God has for us. Only superheroes. And the question is, are you going to be one of those? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for Paul. Thank you for everything that we're learning about Paul, but also his team these people that are perhaps underrepresented in our conversations when we talk about the Bible and our favourite stories and and, uh, what we've learnt. But Lord, incredible people that you valued just as much, who contributed incredibly and who can inspire us and encourage us to do the same, no matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, no matter what our status in culture is, No matter how cool other people think we are or not, Lord, you have a task for us to do and you've given us the ability to do it. Lord, thank you for the reminder and thank you for the challenge to be a part of what you're doing here in our church and in our culture and our community where we're at. pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, one other thing that we can do, we can start by doing straight away, if we want to be a part of an amazing community like this, is to be a, a Hope Partner. And uh, we're about to find out through a message from Steve on the screens what Hope Partners is all about. But if you've kind of seen this clip a few times, or if you're familiar with Hope Partners, I'd encourage you to jump on the QR code that's on the, uh, the seat in front of you, and maybe look up the information, follow the prompts. And it takes about 10 seconds to fill out the form and, and to join with us on this journey as uh, we are living out our mission um, in our community. But while we're doing that, we're going to take a look at the screen.